everyone, and welcome to the all-new Forever Blue Shirts Radio Podcast, powered by ForeverBlueShirts.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Forever Blue Shirts Radio Podcast, a special daily goal horn edition. As today, I am going all out. The World Junior Championships have just wrapped up. The United States of America has won gold. I would love to sing the national anthem, but there's a busy show ahead. Uh, I also I, I have with me today uh, Steve Corianus of the uh, DraftAnalyst.com, one of the best prospect guys you will find period, bar none, hands down. Also a friend of the show, friend of mine, love the guy. Um, and then we're going to have Luke Fox from Sportsnet on uh, in the second half of the show. And we're going to be talking about trade rumors, RFAs, UFAs, you name it. We're going to have some fun. So without further ado, Steve, how you be? What's up, Anthony? How you doing today? Oh, living the dream. We're all living the dream, right? 2021, here we are. The calendar was going to flip and magic the world was going to be wonderful. But Eddie, here we go. Let's talk about USA Gold. Let's do so, it. So, brother, uh, first and foremost, what I want to ask you is your overall take of the World Junior Championships, considering the adversity they faced in just getting it off with COVID-related issues and whatnot, playing in the bubble, a lot like return to play. I thought they did an awesome job. I think it went really, really well. Uh, give me your give me your feel on on how they did. I thought it was great. I, they, like you said, they, 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 uh, the odds were stacked against them. Uh, there were people trying to make sure that this thing didn't happen. On the stand will be so. Uh, but the, the hockey federations for the individual nations deserve a lot of credit for making it happen. Uh, the IIHF, TSN, uh, they, they got a ton of money, so they'll they'll always find a way to make sure that it's well supplied, well funded. Uh, logistics are never going to be an issue. Uh, although they had to make some changes because of the the quarantining and whatever, but uh, really the, the quality of play was fantastic. The intensity was fantastic. I, I like the fact that we didn't have any upsets. And the reason why I say that is every time you have an upset, it's from a lesser known nation. And that upset is pretty much the extent of what they could muster in that tournament. So they, they become cannon fodder for uh, the quarterfinal round. So this year was one of the first times that I could remember in a while, I have to go back and look, where the, the main hockey powers were all in the quarterfinals, that we didn't have any uh, major upsets. So uh, the lesser known teams deserved to not make it because they didn't play well enough to make it. The powerhouses got in. Uh, you know, maybe it would have been nicer if some teams gave Canada a tougher time because they were steamrolling everybody and maybe it built up the, uh, the, uh, the amount of pressure that they were having, uh, had to deal with. But uh, you had a great gold medal game, uh, all the U.S. games, and that meant something were pretty close. Uh, it, you know, most of the top prospects delivered. You got a glimpse into their future. And uh, really, like, I, like you said and like I've been saying, it, it's just uh, it's great hockey. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they're still kids. So you have to kind of factor that in. So Team USA one goal. I'm going to be perfectly honest. Uh, I've spoken to a couple of people, really didn't go on record with it. But coming in, I kind of had the United States probably ranked around third. I thought Canada was going to win it all. Uh, I thought, you know, who was second? I, I really don't have a good answer. I'm not that that good at the whole World Juniors game. I thought Russia had a chance to do something. I thought Sweden, obviously, always a threat. And the Finns just played really damn good hockey. 
Like they, they're always, you know, in every game, they just don't give up. Um, where did you see the U.S. coming in? And did you really think the U.S. was going to win it? I knew they'd have a shot to win. I knew they'd have a shot to win the group uh, because the USA would be in a tougher group. You know, th th their group had the four traditional hockey powers. Canada's only had two with Finland. So my prediction before the tournament was Canada and Russia for gold and then USA winning bronze. And the reason why I felt that was because I thought that Askarov, the goalie for Russia, was going to have a lights out tournament that he was going to kind of, he was disappointed in his performance last year and that he was going to find a way to just go back to the way he played when he was uh, 17 and 18, uh, well, it was 16 and 17. And he actually is the one that, that beat this USA group, this 2001 year group. He ended their gold medal dreams at the 18 year old level, uh, which was a huge deal. That team had Jack Hughes. They, they were supposed to win. That was their destiny. And they didn't. And it was because of Askarov. So I felt that Russia might have had that edge over them. And, you know, of course, they, they won the opening game against them. But I knew that you cannot count this team, uh, the, you know, the American team out. You just couldn't. That they would somehow find a way to, to make things difficult for their opponents. Uh, but remember, again, you had the Swedes that were in the same group. They had that winning streak. And you had to factor that in in your predictions, even though they were missing a couple of key guys. Uh, so I, I knew that the Americans would be there. I just thought that, when they got to the semifinals, uh, if they played Canada or if they played, let's say, Sweden, uh, then maybe they might have uh, a tough time with it. And uh, But I, I felt that Canada was, had the slightest of edges over the competition. Definitely not a powerhouse steamroller. They're going to kill everybody. I felt like it was going to be a really close tournament. A lot of the, the games in the medal round, uh, for the most part, were pretty close outside of uh, you know, the Canada-Russia game. Do the Canadians win it if they don't lose Kirby Doc? I don't know. I don't know. Because remember, Americans didn't have Jack Hughes. So uh, it kind of washes out. They didn't but have I, Alexei Lafreniere if they want, if you want to go yeah, all the way down that route. Yeah. And people always play that game. Well, what it could have should have like, no, like you, you play with what you play uh, with whom you have. Um, if you have Kirby Doc, he probably is like their Trevor Zegras. But if, if Doc is the number one main guy, uh, does Dylan Cousins have the tournament that he has that they were supposed to play in the same line? But uh, how does that work out? You know what I mean? Uh, is it a case where you have too many cooks in the kitchen? I don't know. But the bottom line is that Canada seemed to do just fine without Kirby Doc when they got to the USA game. USA won that game because they scored early and they let it. They relied on Spencer Knight to close it out, and he did. So I, I don't know if Kirby Doc would be that much of a difference maker in a a game like that. I mean. People might disagree with me, third overall pick, but, um, you know, it's, it's just the way I think, I think the U.S. team was as much a, a team of destiny as the Canadians thought that they were. So, well, I, speaking of that, all right. So the storyline going in and I, I don't know, man, but I'm full, I'm fully in love with this kid, but Trevor's egg Ross, right? Yeah. The balls on that kid just going in, like Canada's never faced us. Like Canada's that hasn't been tested, like call them out. They haven't been yeah, tested. Yeah. And, deservedly and then go so. out there and win that game 2 nothing. Yeah, deservedly so. I, I talked about it in my podcast uh, yesterday. I've been talking about it. I've been tweeting about it. That Trevor Zegris, aside from last year's preliminary round game to Canada, you know, the one where it was a close game and Lafreniere scored the game winner. Trevor Zegris has never lost to Canada as at the 17-year-old level, at the 18-year-old level. He's never lost to Canada. 
Turcotte, Caulfield, Boldy, they've all been on those teams. And so the only game that they lost was in the prelim round last year. But when it came down to meddling, playing for a medal, whether it be bronze or gold at the World U-17 Hockey Challenge, at the U-18 Worlds, they know. And the thing is, if you go back, I even tweeted out the stats today. When that Amer- this American group, 11 kids from this group, were from the NTDP back in 2018-19. When they played Canadian all-star teams, they destroyed them. Uh, they either destroy them you know, in the shot attempts and the shots, or they destroy them in possession time. They destroy them on the scoreboard. So the idea that, that the Americans were underdogs, maybe from a Vegas standpoint, but why would Trevor Zegers and Alex Turcotte, Alex Turcotte, Trevor Zegers, Cole Caulfield, Matt Boldy, Spencer Knight, they've gone into Canada where the whole crowd is wearing red and, red and white or red and black, cheering against them, and they shut them up by beating their team. And then they go back to Plymouth in Michigan, where the team was based out of. And they're like, oh, well, let's see if they could do it again. You know what I mean? So I felt coming in that Canada actually has something to prove, not the Americans. Because, uh, you know, really, when, when it mattered most, this American group always beat them. The only example was last year in the preliminary round. Um, and But even still, that was the 2,000-year group's you know, yeah, it wasn't the 2001 kids that we saw mostly that uh, took uh, uh, part in this tournament. So, uh, yeah, I, I think he probably was just like as fed up as I was. And a lot of people were that, you know, unfortunately, we're, we're an Americans. So we have to get the Canadian based feed from TSN to get the analysis. And it's always going to be slanted towards Canada. So as an American, I don't want to hear pro-Canadian analysis. I want to hear, you know, balanced and uh, objective analysis, and you rarely get that when it comes to the World Juniors from TSN. It's not their fault, you know. They they know that you know they they, have they know their audience viewers, uh, watching that stuff in Canada. So, um, but at the same time, so I, I understand why Zebra said what he did. He's like they they haven't faced us yet, and guess what? You know, there was a period where Canada looked really scared. They looked nervous. They looked scared, and it took them about a period and a half to wake up finally. And by that time, it was too late. And, you know, they met fourth gold medal uh, in a row against Canada in the gold medal game. So they have right to be cocky. Well, to my Canadian listeners, I love you, Canada, but it's our game now. Sorry. <laughs> uh, there's nothing more that uh, drives me insane when I see them with their it's our game in the I stands. I, I understand that. And it means a lot more to them in their country than it does to us here in the United States. Uh, And we know that like, you know, our websites have NHL, the NHL menu buried underneath, you know, pool and bowling and, (laughs) you know, Canadian websites. It's always the first thing. That was one thing I love Canada. It's like, wow, hockey's so important there. Hey man, listen, I'm like, like I said, I got Luke Fox from Sportsnet coming up and and on Sportsnet's website. When you go there, the first, the first thing you're going to see click is NHL. You go to ESPN, you go to Bleacher Report or whatever these little, and you got to, it's buried in the more section yeah. and, and it's underneath bowling. There's no, it's, it's really disgusting. I'm sorry. You know no. what? It, it, it dawned on me uh, back in like 97, I went to Montreal just for like a guy's weekend. And it was like two o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday. And I walked into a bar in, in Montreal and like I said, it's two o'clock in the afternoon or whatever. And 
every TV screen in there had some form of hockey on. It was like AHL interviews and Quebec mm-hmm. League uh, replay. And I'm like, can I move here? Can I, li- can, I, can I live here? This is great. Why do we get this in America? Montreal is the Mecca. I mean, I, I know that everyone says Toronto, 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 but I've been to Montreal. And, yeah. you know, you go to church there and the priest is wearing a Canadian's jersey and they literally much, open yeah. up with prayers to the Canadians. Like, it's just crazy. Yeah. And wait till, um, wait till the Canadians start winning again. Uh, you know, they, they've had a little bit of a rut too. When they start winning again, that town's going to go bananas. Oh, absolutely. And that's a great town to be in. And, and by the way, I, I've been to Montreal for a couple of boys. Yeah, it's a, that's a place to go. Maybe one day we'll encounter each other there. Who knows? Yeah, we'll know. try and keep, we'll try and keep it PG. Yeah. <laughs> for the sake of our, for the sake of our marriages, we'll keep it PG. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My wife knows all the stories. Just a lot of beer and poutine, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, all right, let's talk really quick uh, because obviously there's, to me, nobody that knows prospects as well as you do. Um, when you look at the World Junior Championships, there was a lot of players that were drafted, recently drafted, right? High profile names, Quentin Byfield is, is one of them that was at the very, very top, right? Uh, Anton Lundell, for another example. If I have to ask you, give me five guys. Okay, and maybe they're going to be drafted. Maybe they're up for the next draft. Who impressed you in this tournament? Give me five guys. I don't care if they were drafted two years ago, whatever it is. Five guys that you walked away with saying, these guys are going to be players. Well, I mean, the easy answer is is the, the big names, right? And they really did deserve the, the recognition that they got. And that's, you know, Dylan Cousins from Canada, Trevor Zegers from the United States, uh, Anton Lundell, like you mentioned, from Finland, uh, uh, Tim Stutzler was fantastic. I mean, all things yeah. considered, he was my MVP because the, the poor kid had, had half a bench and he, you, he was playing like 24, 25 minutes a game and he was still one of the top scorers uh, in the tournament. And uh, so and you know, so I'm going to kind of go like towards the the unheralded route, guys that I didn't expect to to maybe not do, not necessarily do well, but I, I just, I'm so used to the, their style of play and what I saw at the tournament was them exceed what their, their normal standard was. Uh, and I'm going to start with the kid from Staten Island, Arthur Kaliev, uh, for Team USA. Listen, this kid, it, his knock has always been skating and effort off the puck, right? We know he could score goals. Finland definitely knows that. He scored the winner against them in the semifinals. Uh, playing on a line with Zegras and Turcott. So you figure like, oh, he'll be a passenger. You know, he just knows to get open, get open. And this kid's effort was fantastic. It really was. He he just it was, uh, you know, you saw him hustle and skate and hit and battle like I've never seen him before. Now remember, he plays in the OHL, so they haven't played in quite some time. So it's been a long time since I've seen him play. Uh, you know, and so uh, the Kings have to be happy with his with his progress. The other kid that I liked a lot was another Kings prospect, Simon Tybel. Now, he played on the top line with Anton Lundell. Uh, same thing. He's a little guy, big-time scorer, though. Every level he's played at, he's scored. And I thought that the Kings got a good deal uh, getting him in the third round in this past draft. But for a little guy known for his finesse and his playmaking and his skill, yeah, he put up a lot of points. He was one of the top scorers in the tournament. But he was fighting hard, fighting hard off the pucks and then controlling the puck on the, off the cycle. You know, when you're a 5'9", five, 5'10 five, guy and those bigger defensemen shove you, most of the time, these, these little guys will fall down or get knocked off balance. But he, he was in really strong legs, uh, lower body strength. So uh, he was fantastic. Uh, 
I guess we'll save the Brett Barad talk for later on because he's definitely going to be one of them. Uh, the the Italian kid from Jersey, Farinacci, was fantastic. I, I didn't expect him to be one of the top goal scorers in the tournament. So but uh, <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, he is a Harvard kid. And, uh, you know, obviously they're not playing hockey. So he had some, uh, I think I read something that he was going to try to play somewhere just to kind of, you know, uh, knock off the rust. But he was so critical. That line with Barad and Farinacci was so critical. Every time the USA was playing poorly and they were hemmed in their zone, you know, you're yelling at your TV, th that line stepped up. Uh, the Russian defenseman, Kursanov, he's a draft prospect, really blew away my expectations. He started out as the sixth defenseman playing about 15 minutes a game. And by tournament's end, he was playing about 22 minutes a game for Russia. So not very flashy, steady Eddie kind of Dan Girardi type, you know, where you're not going to get a whole lot of offense, but he scored the game winning goal against Sweden. Uh, and then the goalie for uh, uh, Slova uh, Slovakia, Lakosi. I, I, I really didn't know much about him. He was in the USHL for one year. He got lit up. And then he was able to to go to the World Juniors and and make a name for himself. And as an overage, he might get a long look to get drafted. So there there are a lot of guys that impressed me, but uh, those names stand out. Like every time I watch them, I'm taking my notes down. I'm like that name again. There he is. Right. So uh, you know th those were the guys that really stood out for me, though. Give me some disappointments because there I I've read a couple of post you know articles after the World Junior Championships and. Obviously, there's there's been some talk about some of the players that were a little disappointing. Uh, I think Noel Gundler was on that list. But yeah. what, are your, what are your thoughts? Who do you, who disappointed you? Who who did you expect more from and just didn't really produce? I'm not going to say that I expected more from them. I expected them to play the way that they played when I watched them play before the tournament. If that makes sense, uh, I I watch all these kids. I've seen at least at a minimum five times. Six times. I mean, I have notes and notes from these kids that date back to a couple of years uh, when they were in their draft, uh, first year draft eligibility. So, uh, you know, after a while, you, you know, you watch them play as they, after they get drafted, you try to pick up uh, what they're improving on. What are they, what's uh, still a strength for theirs? Did they lose a strength? And so uh, I also like to see uh, if they're able to contribute when they're not scoring. Because a lot of these kids are going to score. All these kids are probably type A types who were the number one and number two guy on their team from the age they were like six, seven years old. So the World Juniors is a team event. It's a, winning this gold is a team accomplishment, not an individual accomplishment. And that's why I brought up Kaliev is because he didn't care about the stats. He didn't care about his shots and just padding uh, his shot numbers. He worked hard and uh, he was at the end of shifts diving for loose pucks and uh, you know throwing his weight around. Uh, so that's what I look for. So if Kaliev didn't have didn't score a single goal, I still would have considered him a guy who impressed me. So uh, as far as you know, showing up to the tournament and not playing as well as I used to them uh, see them playing, the kid from uh, uh, Russia, Amirov, Rodin Amirov. You look at the stats. Well, he led Team Russian scoring with six points. Okay, that's great. But you know what? Like he really wasn't that effective off the puck. He wasn't very uh, clean with his with his puck management. And at the same time, Jake Sanderson, the defenseman for Team USA, uh, he was a fifth overall pick. I love that kid. That kid played pretty much a mistake-free season last year, and that's why he got picked fifth overall. Uh, but outside of the skating flashes and, and the way that he's handling the puck and his you know, soft hands delivering crisp passes, uh, once he crosses center ice, his puck management was really bad. It was his decision-making, the ability for him to understand what his goalie Knight was doing because Knight always handles the puck. Uh, 
as far as Quinton Byfield goes, disappointing from an offensive standpoint, absolutely. He had that one big game against Switzerland with six points. Yep. He had an assist in a blowout against Germany, the 16-2 game. But other than that, that was it. He did not put up, uh, produce any points uh, in, uh, in several close games. I felt like in those close games, guys like Newhook and Cousins – uh, were more dangerous, even Peyton Krebs, you know, Peyton Krebs, uh, you know, basically running through a brick wall for his team. Uh, I wanted to see a little bit more intensity from Byfield, but at the same time, Byfield was really good on faceoffs and he was physical and he was able to play well in coverage off the puck. Uh, so, you know, maybe the Kings, that's what they want in their, in their guy. Um, Alexander Holtz, I think we all expected him to score a lot more than he did. Uh, maybe it says a lot more about Carl Hendrickson, the Ranger draft pick who usually centers him that wasn't there because of COVID. So, uh, you know, Holtz, I think, had only one goal, uh, but he had a, a, a bunch of shots. So he, he had some bad puck luck. But uh, his, my issue with him was that, you know, he was trying his best to get open, but it just seemed like he was in that same static position with the hammer cocked and wasn't really doing a whole lot of moving around in the offensive zone. It's like he was watching Lucas Raymond do it instead of working a little bit harder himself. Um, and then I will say Askarov, the Russian goalie. I expected him to blow this tur tournament away. And uh, it's not that he played that poorly. It was the game against Canada that I expected. He was playing fantastic up until the Canada game. All the criticism he was getting online and from the fans calling him a bust, th that was ri ridiculous because he was having you know, his, uh, one of the better world junior seasons for a Russian goalie. But the Canada game, to give up three goals in the first uh, couple minutes, you got to make some big stops there, whether it's his fault or not. Uh, and he just didn't have it. So I was a little disappointed in that. But, you know, short body of work, short tournament. What matters more is league play uh, when they're uh, in, with their club team. It's the same system for 65, 70 games a year, the same coaching staff, the same facilities, the same rink. Uh, the familiarity is very critical. So I think it's more the league play it mirrors the NHL style more than what you see at the World Juniors. That's why I tell people not to. Uh, take uh, read too much into it in terms of the stats or the production or the the play. I think it's uh, I hear what you're saying, right? But it's always it's always nice to see how a player performs under that kind of spotlight and pressure. That I, I wouldn't take away that. Yeah, you should totally base everything you see in these games as that's the type of player you're going to get or that's the type of player you're going to be. But I just it, it does kind of maybe speak to how good maybe a player is going to be under the bright lights or pressure in a certain situation. I think that's all you can look at it as. I don't think you can make any judgment. Yeah, absolutely. That. So at, let's, we're going to wrap up our section here and we're going to talk about two Rangers, right? That played in the tournament. Uh, Rangers had uh, four, I think they had five prospects, two in Canada, three, uh, three. Am I wrong here? Skinner, could be losing they had mind. Skinner, they had Berard, they had Schneider. They had um, Dylan Garon. Dylan Garon, who, who uh, didn't even play. Really? Right. And, uh, who am I missing? I don't know why I felt like I'm missing somebody, but it is. Uh, th those are the four that come right off the top of my head. Matthew Robertson, who did not play. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was, he was, he was out because Co of COVID. something. So I think they said it was COVID related, regardless of how it was, whether it's quarantining or he couldn't make the cut. Um, what did you see? Now, limited what I saw. Let's start with. Brett Berard, because what I when Berard was fun to watch, really fast, really determined on the puck. If I had to pick somebody in recent Rangers memory that I go, who does he remind me of? I, you could tell me you're wrong. 
but he had some Carl Hagling to him, you know, lots of speed went after the puck. I don't know what, you know, offensively how good he really is or can be, but if I'm looking at a potential future for him, he's a third or fourth line player would make a great, you know, grind line guy or somebody on the PK to just wreak havoc with his speed thoughts. Well, yeah, Barad was actually one of the top scorers on the NTDP last year. The, the NTDP wasn't very offensive-minded like the zegris turcott Caulfield group, uh, but uh, they were a, really a, a tough, you know, 200-foot north-south kind of a team where they, they played a Canadian style almost. And so when I watched the NTDP last year, I noticed that here's this little guy who's – and I, I knew about him from when he was on the 17-year-old team, but – uh, this little guy who's playing against these college teams, right? You know, he's 16, 17 years old. Well, 17 years old. He's playing against guys who are 22, 23 years old, and he's just not backing down. And he's chirping them, and he's like, I, I can't tell you how many times I would see Brett Barad go into a scrum after a whistle and just grab a guy by the back of the neck and just yoke him and just chuck <laughs> him on the eye. You know, you know what I mean? And so, uh, so right off the bat, I'm like, oh, I like this kid. But then you then you also saw his speed and his skill. And, you know, I wrote a very extensive scan report on him for the my draft report this year. I love the pick. So the Brett Barard that you saw in Edmonton is the Brett Barard that you'll you've seen the last couple of years. His game hasn't changed. It's just going to keep evolving and getting better. He was a momentum changer. He was a difference maker. I mean, it, it was obvious that uh now listen, it's not like the team. Uh, the American team relied on him to provide offense. They had two really good scoring lines to do that. But that that line that was it Brink Farinacci and Barard that line was huge. They had they made so many critical plays at the most important times, and the announcers talked about it. Uh, hopefully the you know the media's been talking about it. But uh, this is the kind of kid. Now, I don't know what he's going to become. I don't know if he's going to be too small for the NHL. Uh, people want to compare him to Brad Marchand. Listen, Brad Marchand was a similar player at this age, uh, playing in the Quebec League. Uh, also played for Team Canada at the World Juniors. Uh, but that's the that's the best case scenario. Uh, I think when you're as competitive as he is, as fast as he is, as soft-handed uh, as he is, he he has skill. He has puck skills. I've seen him turn really good defensemen inside out. He he's an inside player. He he's not scared uh, to to get hit. Uh, he, but he's but he's got the skill to maintain control of the puck. So uh, really, I think I even tweeted. I said, "What a what a tournament this kid's having as an American and a Ranger fan." Uh, but just as a hockey fan in general, he's the kind of kid you want on your team. Awesome. So now let's talk about the big pick. The Rangers uh, moved up to trade. Uh, they traded up to draft them. Uh, and what I saw of Graydon Schneider, I mean, I've been, since they drafted him, I wanted to get to know him a little bit better. I, I was of the ilk. Why didn't they take a center? They need centers. But just watching some clips of him and just seeing how he plays and that big, mean-bodied style, and then he goes out, and yes, he was suspended for a game. I just I thought that was more just bad luck circumstance. He lined up the guy. The puck was there. The guy was smaller, and the shoulder caught him in the head. I don't think it was any ill intent. I don't think he intended to, to, to you know give him a headshot, but so be it. He got suspended. Those are the rules. But I do love the, the way he plays. He's big. He's mean. He's got a hell of a shot. Scored a beautiful goal. You know, just stole the puck and got them into the finals. Um, I mean, it was a hell of a shot. What do you think about this kid, Braden Schneider? I mean, he played top four for Canada, right, in the tournament for the most part. Yeah. I think he's got a future in New York. I think the Rangers, 
wisely looking at their situation saying this kid probably will be ready in two years to make a real push for the NHL. And by that time, you know, D'Angelo has been moved to the left side. Does he stay there? Is he a fit there? You could possibly trade him before, you know, when his deal is up, whatever it is, he'll be an RFA. So still some control there. Uh, Truba, he's going to get older in age at some point. You may want to move him. I just look at it as the Rangers have Nils Lundqvist coming up and they got Adam Fox who's going to be there for the next decade. And then what if you put an embrace? I think I just look at it as wise cost control, keeping a real talented pool of defensemen on the right side. This kid looks legitimate. Like I understand why they traded up for him. Yeah. I mean, listen, he was, uh, he, he gives, he gave Canada a dimension that, they needed because yeah, they had Caden Gooley. Yeah. They had uh, Bowen Byron. They could be pretty physical as well, but Schneider is known for being a really physical guy. And, uh, the, the one thing about team Canada defensemen outside of Byram is they told them to play a pretty reserved style. The Canadian style is North South, dump the puck in chip and chase, you know, go behind the net, throw it to the half wall, then pitch it back up to the point and sling it at the net. It's it's like it's almost like a hamster wheel. That's how they, they do things. And when they dominate the low slot, that's exactly the kind of, uh, of plays that work. It helps you generate scoring chances because the, the whole crease area is just a whole big mess for the opposition to defend. The goalie can't track the puck. And so I think in that regard, with Schneider's you know physicality, with his quickness, his hands, uh, being able to keep plays alive, you saw that. Um and you know, like I, I'm, I'm still not the biggest fan of the pick. Uh, I said we have to wait and see. But he had a pretty strong tournament. The hit that he delivered, you know, if you want to say that maybe he could have let up a little bit. Why are you delivering such a massive hit in a blowout game that you're already winning? Uh, you know, that's pretty fair. But at the same time, it's an intimidation factor. And Schneider's big thing with Schneider's is his intimidation factor, where he wants other teams to know that when he's on the ice, you got to keep your head up. And maybe you're not going to attempt to go into the middle. So maybe if you are Brett Barad, uh, luckily they're all going to be teammates because you're not going to take the puck inside against a guy like Shadow because he's going to freaking line you up. And um, uh, one thing, the one thing that I really like, because I've seen him skate, I've seen him shoot the puck. He's got skill there. I like the fact that he didn't really change his game after the hit and the suspension. That I was curious to see, is he going to be more tentative? He's going to be uh, maybe play a little bit less physical, but he wasn't. He was just, he played just as physical, but cleaner and more disciplined. So uh, I do see him having a future with this team. Uh, like I said in our podcast way back after the draft, it's just going to create a ton of competition. So that whole right side, and knowing the Rangers, they're going to probably draft more right side defensemen or make a trade. It's going to really count, it's going to make him an even better player. Uh, to compete against these guys. And uh, the one thing I want to see, I, I just want to see more offense out of him. Like when you play for Team Canada, every defenseman is a threat. Uh, I want to see him be able to be a number three or a number two uh, where he's, he could handle the puck, be a puck rusher, be on a power play, contribute that way. And I, I think we saw some signs from uh, for that uh, in this tournament. Awesome. All right, Steve, give everyone uh, the Twitter handle, where to find your work. TheDraftAnalyst.com. If you haven't visited, please do give the Twitter handle, buddy. Yes, at the Draft Analyst Podcast is the Draft Analyst Podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, and the uh, YouTube page is called Prospect Film Room. So if you're into the 2021 draft, which is going to be, I believe, in July this year, you, you head over there, you subscribe, you'll see all the videos that I make for these prospects. A couple of them are going to be Rangers one day. So uh, get a head start on everybody else. 
Awesome. All right, everyone. And when we come back, I will have Luke Fox from Sportsnet to have some fun. Welcome back, everybody, to the Forever Blue Shirts Radio Podcast, a daily Gohorn special. And with me now, my special guest, Sportsnet NHL writer Luke Fox. Luke, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. We're uh, only a few more sleeps until hockey's back. Thanks for having me on, Anthony. That depends if you're a Dallas Stars fan. You're going to have a lot more yeah. sleeps now. <laughs> so, I mean, it's no joke. Obviously, we're, we're, we try to laugh about certain things. We hope everything's okay. Uh, we did just learn. So everyone, for context, we're recording today. It's Friday, January 8th. And we just learned that the Dallas Stars season will be postponed till at least January 19th, I just read, on Sportsnet. Um, and I did hear today that the Columbus Blue Jackets had some issues, so I don't know if they're going to be following up with something similar. Uh, but, Luke, what can you tell us? Six players and two staff members. Um, everyone, of course, unnamed, as is going to be the case here for puck drops. Um, but, yeah, positive tests. And, you know. I think you'd have to be pretty naive to to expect there to be zero positive tests like there were in the bubble. Uh, this is a, not a bubble situation. The NHL is prepared for this. The NBA is going to navigate this. The NFL has been navigating it all season and mm -hmm. found a way to get their season in the books. And this is the world we live in. So, um, you know, they, they put a little bit of buffer at the end of the season, gave a little bit of room for makeup games. Um, but this is, this is the new normal. This is what we're in for. I, what I would hope and what I would think is that maybe after we're through training camps, um, that we see fewer positive tests amongst the teams, just because, you know, when they travel to hotels, the rules are going to be, they can't go out to a restaurant with, and have a team dinner or whatever. They're, right. they're going to have to hunker down in the hotel, maybe have a common room in the hotel and they go to. Um, every, every team flies chartered plane at uh, planes. So they're not mixing with the public there. So hopefully, you know, these are just kind of speed bumps at the beginning of the season. And then once things are underway, hopefully we don't see these outbreaks. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Obviously we're all keeping our fingers crossed. Uh, you know, there's sounds like there's good news on the horizon, the vaccine, but it's still going to be a process, right? And it's yeah. two rounds of shots and people have to get it done. So we still need to be cautious, folks, and and this is a prime example. Sports is a microcosm of, of life in general, so we'll see how it goes. Do you have anything on the Blue Jackets as of late? I know I saw earlier news. I don't know if anything has come out since. No, just that uh, a significant number of Blue Jackets weren't on the ice. The Blue Jackets canceled all uh, media availability with the players, and Yarmo Kekalainen had nothing else to add. He was asked, I saw, by a reporter, uh, and he refused comment. To kind of deferring to the league. Um, as soon as something gets deferred to the league, the suggestion or the implication is it's COVID related, right? If it mm -hmm. was, if it was an injury or if a team got the the flu or the measles or something, um, you know, the, the team would probably announce it. So that that's the assumption. Okay. So let's talk about some, uh, I guess, lighter topics. Um, you do a great job at Sportsnet. I love reading your work first and foremost. So I can't thank you enough for being on. Um, I see that, you know, you, you do a great job of keeping everyone up to date of what's going on with the UFAs and the RFAs. Uh, I think that is a bit of a hot topic. Uh, specifically, Matthew Barzell is, he's 
in camp, technically, he's around the area. He cannot participate. He is not. I, I see there's a little dispute. Uh, people are calling him a holdout. I've labeled him a holdout because technically he is. But Darren Drager, I think I saw him saying, I'm not calling him a holdout. Uh, what's the latest? It sounds like something will get done, but there's cap issues there. There are cap issues there. You're absolutely right. It's it's a fascinating scenario. Um, you know, playing chicken basically with the general manager like Lou Lamorello. <laughs> Not and, a good idea. <laughs> no, and, and you know what? He doesn't really have much leverage. Like no. there's no arbitration rights. So what's his leverage? Um, I, you know, it's semantics, holding out, not reporting to camp, but he doesn't have to report to camp. He doesn't have a contract. He's not getting paid by the team. So I think that's where, you know, people debate the term holdout. Um, but basically his, his leverage is go elsewhere, sign an offer sheet or keep pressing this thing. And, you know, it, there will be another deadline uh, I, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. It used to be uh, December one, but they've they've moved it for this season, obviously. Yes. Where if you don't have a contract, you can't participate. I would be shocked if that happens. I, I think they get something done. Usually, when when they're this far apart, they just settle on a bridge deal and push the uh, the serious negotiations, the long term negotiations down the road. Yeah, they'll probably more likely than not kick the can down the road, as you say. Um, I'm not specific on the date, but I did move it. I think it's sometime in February where if he's not signed, he's ineligible for the rest of the season. I don't see that happening. The only thing I could say, and again, this is, you could just think about it any way you wish. If Bar, I mean, if this leaves a bad taste in Barzell's mouth, more likely than not, it's going to be a bridge deal where he'll still have, you know, teams aren't giving away getting you to free agency. They leave I'd like to leave that one year so they could have a little bit more control. Right. But does it get to the point where Barzell goes, you know, I, I'm not forgetting what you did to me. So as soon as I get an opportunity, I'm yeah. out. And teams like the Islanders, they're in New York, but they're not the Rangers. And I'm not trying to take shots at Islander fans. Everyone knows that primarily this is a Rangers network. Uh, but you look at it and you go, could that leave a bad taste? Does he look to go elsewhere when he's got the time or do the Islanders go, let's clear the cap space. Let's make whatever room we have to let's give him, let's lock him up for seven years, figure it out, give him the money he wants. We're opening a new building. We need him here. I mean, yeah. And, and he's a young franchise center. He's you good. Know, the, the Islanders kind of, kind of need that. Uh, you know, I, I'm not in Barzell's head, but he's probably looking at the money, a guy like Pajot got, right? And mm-hmm. he, he's more of a defensive forward. He's like, I'm your number one center. Who do you else got coming? So I, I could understand why he's probably set his, his price high. And then you look around the league and, you know, where I am in Toronto, those RFAs kind of reset the market. You know, guys like Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, you know, he's not Austin Matthews, but he's a star. And he, he's the best offensive player they have in the franchise. He's, he's saying, let me get up closer to that range, I'm sure. Yeah, um, he, he it, also isn't playing with the same type of players either. No, and he's and the system, right? The trot system is, is very defensive-minded. You have to be responsible. It Barzell's the cut type of talent and has the type of skating where you wonder what kind of offensive numbers he might put up, up uh, in a different system surrounded by different players. Uh, it, it's fascinating. I, I really like the point you said that you know you 
you have a bit of a contract dispute, you settle on a bridge, what does that say long term? And you don't have to look very far. Like I think of PK Subban's contentious RFA contract in Montreal or Jacob Truba and Patrick Line in Winnipeg. You know, yeah, the, the sides get it together for a couple of years, but it is kind of an indication that the two teams might, uh, the two sides might not be long for each other. So it, it'll be something to watch. It'll be fascinating. Let's get into Patrick Line. I mean, yeah. first off, when his name was put on a trade bait board for the very first time, I looked at it and I went, no, that's, that's, that's got to be some sort of a typo. <laughs> I'm like, Line, why would you trade Line? He's 22 years old. He's a 50 goal scorer. He's got all this potential. And then you find out, all right. There's a lot going on here. And then you also have Mike Liu's statement with the other agent. And you're looking at the situation and you're going, all right, this is not smoke anymore. There's definitely a fire. And I'm sorry, but Lining does not help the situation when he sits there, you know, kind of sunk in his chair and goes, I'm here, aren't I? <laughs> right. And like you could say, did that dispel rumors? You know, like, yeah, he's going to be a good teammate. He's going to play. He's not going to not be a professional. But, you know, you followed it up with, hey, Gretzky got traded. I'm like going, oh, my God, what is, what is Shevel Dayoff going to do with this one? I, I was kind of surprised. You know, I thought maybe his agent or the team PR or someone would would have prepped them a little bit better to, to fake it a little bit better. I, and as a reporter, I love it. I love the honesty. I love that you can can read exactly what he's thinking, that he's here for now, basically, yep. but he's not a happy camper. I the way I look at it is they're probably like Shevel Dayoff's like I'm probably going to lose the trade because anytime you trade a a talent that good and that young in a league where goal scoring is so highly coveted, uh, it's hard to get fair return. But to his credit, Shevel Dayoff isn't selling him for pennies on the dollar. He probably said, "Look, the best way for you to get traded, if that's what you want, is to come to camp." play your heart out, increase your value, put a smile on your face, suck it up. And we could probably find type of trade that can land you somewhere where you'll be happier. The big thing with Lonnie that I've heard is he wants to play on the top line. He's, you know, spent the bulk of his career there on the second line. They've had trouble finding a second line center. Brian Little got hurt and, and his career is now in jeopardy. They went out you know, in the off season and, got, and brought back Paul Stastny, which I thought was a really smart move and a good move yeah. and something that should make line a happy, you know, at least he has a, a bonafide top six NHL center to play with. Um, and, and we'll see where this goes, but I, I like you, I watched that press conference and think, and think that there's no way that this guy's signing an, another contract beyond this one. I mean, as a writer myself, right. I mean, I'm constantly, looking for content as I'm building up my, my network. Right. And I'm, and I, and I saw that I was like going, that's an article. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, thank, thank you, Lionel. That's an article. Um, let's stick with Winnipeg for a second. They have another RFA that wants out. So Jack Roslevic, mm -hmm. right. He wants to, he wants to go somewhere. Uh, first off, it, thank you for including my report speaking to Claude Lemieux that they've spoken to at least six teams. Um, and so it's, Quite a pleasure seeing my name on a sports that website going because as far as I'm concerned, I'm in the US. Mm -hmm. There is nothing like Sportsnet when it comes to hockey. Oh, of course. Cool. I was talking about this with uh, with Steve, who's also US based, and we laugh. We go, you know, you look at ESPN, you look at Bleacher Report, you look at whatever we have here, 
and NHL is buried. Like it's, you got to go to the three dots, do the drop down, see the more column and we're under bowling. It's, I hate it. It makes me angry. But when you go to Sportsnet, that's the first thing you're going to see is the NHL. So what do you, what is the latest on Roslovic? What, what can you tell me? Well, I mean, you're ahead of this, more ahead of this story than me. I haven't talked to Lemieux uh, since you have. So, uh, you know, he's an interesting character. It's, say, it's kind of the same problem as Line, just on a smaller scale. The Jets are loaded with, with talented forwards, especially on the wing. Uh, and there's just not enough ice time to go around. And it's hard to make the case that you need ice time over Kyle Connor, over Blake Wheeler. Like, it's not happening. Um, so Roslovic's disgruntled. The one thing he did is not show up at the at camp. I believe he's practicing and, and training and staying in shape in Ohio. So even if he reported to the team, it doesn't sound like he's going to do anytime soon, he'd have to serve a 14 day quarantine. That's, that's mandatory when you come across the border into Canada right now, uh, regardless of your profession. So, um, yeah, it looks like it's, this is a, this is a holdout situation where he wants out. He wants to trade and trades are tricky. Like, you know, I, I kind of feel for, for shovel day off in this situation because there's not a lot of liquidity in the system. Most, mm-hmm. if you look at cap friendly, a third to half of the teams are already at, at the brink. Right. Um, th- there's just not a lot of room for movement. And some of the lower teams, you know, they, they're probably in a rebuilding year and they're not necessarily looking to give up good assets to, to take on another player. Um, especially a player who, you know, is, may not be, may not be happy or maybe, uh, only satisfied if he gets top six minutes. So, uh, it's a tricky situation and Roslovic's kind of, uh, in, in my mind, I think he's playing with fire a little bit here, uh, because you don't want to be tagged as kind of a, a disrupt, disgruntled guy. Um, so, uh, it, it'll be fascinating because I do think he, he's a, he has a lot of potential. He just hasn't shown it at the NHL level yet. Right. Can like the Winnipeg Jets, right? Canada has the Winnipeg Jets. Good coach, good GM, well run. It's a good organization. The United States, we've got the Columbus Blue Jackets. Good mm-hmm. coach, good GM, well run. And here's Pierre-Luc Dubois going tra- straight out of slap shot. Trade me right bleeping now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's going on? I mean, it's, Columbus looks like a pretty good place to play. <laughs> I I feel bad for the Blue Jackets because the guys who want to be there seem to really love it and thrive there. You know, like I've talked to Nick Foligno, he absolutely loves it. But it seems, you know, every every year or every couple of years, uh, they run into this with with certain players. Ryan Johansson, they you know they picked him to be their their star number one center. He wasn't too happy. They eventually had to move him. You know. The year where they had Panarin and Bobrovsky walk out the door, Matt Duchesne, they rented, he left. It's been really tough for them to hold on to talent. And the Dubois case, I think, is especially disappointing just because I thought Yarmo did such an amazing job drafting him when everyone thought he was going to take the big fin in Yessi Pugliarvi that year. And uh, eyebrows raised when he picked Dubois instead. And he, and he looked like a brilliant move because Dubois is the type of centerman that you want to build your, your team around. He was fantastic in that series against the Maple Leafs. I went to all those games live and he was just a star. He just, he just popped off the ice uh, on both ends. Just, just a, a, 
phenomenal performance. Um, so on the on the plus side, they did get the paperwork done. He's there for two years, right. uh, but you know it's obvious he wants out again in his his first interview at camp. You could read between the lines pretty easily, um, and you know they haven't come out and said why. You know. From what we've seen, we see John Tortorella chewing him out on the bench from time to time. You wonder if he, he there's some friction there with the coach. Maybe he just doesn't like playing in a, in a small market. I don't know. Um, but it, it's going to be uh, really interesting to see where he lands. I know Montreal is one team that would love to have a guy oh like that. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, yeah I, I think uh, I was reading The Athletic, too. So and Pierre Lebrun was going at seven, desti- seven possible destinations, and he went oh, okay. on about you know, Montreal would love to add a guy like that. And it makes sense. Right. And and they, they have plenty of centers to deal away to get, to make room. So uh, just really quickly, we're going to have a little bit more fun with you. Uh, Two more, two more segments Uh, on the daily goal horn, which is my NHL site. I went through and I did the top candidates. I think are going to be traded this year. I want to run through them with you. And I want you to give me what you think. Will they be traded this year? If you have any possible destinations, shoot, go for it. But I'm going to run off some names. Okay. We've talked about some, and then we'll start off with Pierre-Luc Dubois. Does he get traded this season? No. I, you, you know what? I, I, I know you want to do this rapid fire, and I'm all for it. One thing I think is going to be tricky is making trades this particular season. I, don't, I, I worry about the number of games, if there's going to be enough separation between the good teams and bad teams, that there'll be obvious rentals uh, teams that are in the rental market and teams that want to sell. I don't know if you can create that much of a gap. Uh, That's what I worry about. And then there's plus if you do trade for a player and they have to, you know, make a big geographical move, there could be a quarantine. How much value is there in that? So I, I would expect most trades to happen in the off season, that this might be like a back burner thing that happens in the summer. Right. I, I can totally see that. And I did say that it really there's no rush to trade him. He signed for two years. Yeah. And you're going to get as much for him in the off. You'll probably get more from him in the offseason than you would if you're trying to push him at this deadline. Or you'll get more in the second, you know, next season, right? Yeah. The following season after. There's probably a better chance if you really think you need to move him. They still have him as an RFA after that contract is up. So they're in control. Yeah. Um, so I would say he gets traded, but no, um, no, not. During, se- during the season, but after. Right. Is what- Definitely not this season. So anytime after. Yeah. Another guy who's been in the, in the room mill, poor Johnny Hockey. Every time I, I turn yeah. around and I look at Calgary, they want to trade Johnny Gaudreau. And I know that the Flyers are really interested. And mm-hmm. anybody who knows Kevin Hayes has probably been like, you know, tugging at some ears, bring my boy in. Uh, what do you know about Johnny Gaudreau? What do you think will happen? I think this is his last chance for, for Monaghan and Gaudreau. I think this is... That core of the Flames, this is their last crack at it. So either they they produce, they make the playoffs in what is going to be a very competitive division because only one of the seven Canadian teams views itself as a rebuilding team. The other six all view themselves as, as playoff teams. Or there are big changes in Calgary. And when I say big changes, I'm looking at Sean Monaghan, Johnny Goudreau, possibly the GM, Brad Living. I think... I think there's going to be a, a significant shakeup if they don't if they don't not only make the playoffs but win a round or two. Okay, this is one guy that if they, I believe on my list that if he's going to get traded, 
It could happen right now. It could happen before the season starts, right? Because you're right, especially considering his geographic location. Once the season starts, it could be a little bit more on the difficult side with the quarantine rules. But Patrick Laine, if they were going to make a move for a guy before the season were to start and get him off to somewhere who really wants him and gives him a deal, that's a guy I could see go. But what are your thoughts? Does he get moved this year? I mean, he's he's an RFA at the end of the season. So they still have control. They still have control. I say get gets moved at the draft. Next draft. Not bad. They'll probably get a hell of a draft pick along with a hell yeah. of a player for him. Yeah. All right. Now, this is one that I think could happen at the deadline, depending on the situation. But Oliver Ekman Lawson to the Boston Bruins. Or Larson will come back up at the deadline. You know, two US-based teams, so probably no quarantine issues. But do you think he gets moved this year if and I anticipate the Coyotes to not make the playoffs. And I think the Bruins will be like barking or banging at the door, like bring them over. What do you think? I think that's, that's a possible in-season deal. Uh, just because I think the Arizona Coyotes are, have been kind of explicit in their mission to, to sell off and rebuild. They already traded away Derek Stepan. Uh, you know, just because Oliver Ackman Larson gave this, you know, made up deadline of, Hey, trade me to Vancouver, Boston by this day, or you, I'm staying the rest of the year. He could change his mind and say, okay, um, I can go. But the interesting thing with him is he holds all the leverage in that situation because he has the full no move. So right. uh, it has to be a destination he wants. But if you're Oliver Ekman Larson, I know you probably love the Arizona lifestyle. And when you sign that really long-term extension and got named captain and everything. You probably thought that's where you're, you're going to end your career, but you got to take a look around you and say, this team is, is going to be years away from contending. They're stripping it down and then they got to build back up by that time. How old am I? So if you want to win a cup, you know, maybe you change your mind, open up beyond two teams. Uh, Boston, of course, he's already been open with a, that is a destination he likes. Bruins are fascinating. Are the, you know, can you lose Tory Krug and, and still be in contention? Can you lose Zidane Chara? Are these, these young blue liners up to the task? We'll see. David Pasternak's not healthy to start the season. It's going to be really interesting. Uh, and if you're Don Sweeney, I would say you want to keep going for it. As long as you have Bergeron and Marshawn and they're putting up good numbers, uh, you might as well keep going. Last year of Rast's deal, last year of Krejci's deal, you might as well take a stand and and take it and try for the cup. I I agree with you. And you know, shortened season, you're going to have to. Health is going to be the biggest thing for all teams. Yeah. I think we could have a few surprises. Teams that might jump over others and get a third or fourth spot. The way the divisions are being set up. But yeah, if the Bruins can survive Pasternak being out, and it sounds like they might be, and if the defense can hold up. You know, I could see them saying, yeah, the defense, we like what we saw in the kids, but there's an opportunity to bring in a guy like Larson for a cup run. They're going to do it. And again, that has to be Larson going, yeah, I'm ready to go, guys. It's somebody wants me call Boston up and let's see what we can do. Last last guy on my list that I wrote up because he was another one that was very, very, very talked about and was almost dealt at the draft from uh, some insider reporting. Marc-Andre Fleury. Mm. Will he get traded? And I think there's going to be a curveball, and you probably are best to answer it. 
I know that the, the Carolina Hurricanes talked with, with Vegas. I think <laughs> Vegas is like, we'll eat half his salary, give you a second round pick. And Carolina was like, nah, give me a first. And they're like, I just told you, you're going to eat half his salary and give you a second round pick. You want blood? How much more blood do you want from this stone? Uh, does he get moved this season? And considering that trade deadline, there's going to be another goaltender who could be available. I, again, I don't know if the Leafs would do it, but Freddie Anderson, right? We just, there's been a lot of talk. Will Claude Lemieux even discuss contract? And will the Leafs sit there and go, well, if you're not going to talk contract and you're an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season, and I'm going to lose you for nothing, maybe we have to make a move for a goaltender ourselves. What do you think is going to happen in that situation? I know I just threw a lot at you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll start with Freddie because we just talked to him right before I got on this Zoom. Uh, we were on a Zoom with Freddie, and he said that he and the Leafs talked a little bit about okay. an extension. Breaking uh, news. The Leafs, the Leafs are trying to win a cup. Like whether, whether, you know, fans can decide whether they, they're ready for it or not, but internally they think they're ready. Uh, even though they haven't won around, they, they think this group can do it all. So I don't think, I don't see them trading Freddie Anderson mid season, just because beyond that, you got Jack Campbell and you got Aaron Dell, uh, decent backups, but neither is a proven starter in the NHL. I think they're hitching their wagon to Freddie for this year seeing how it goes and then making a decision on his future afterward on flurry. I think that is a, a likely, uh, a likely trade candidate, put it that way. Um, you know, we'll see how it plays out. Robin Leonard gets, gets hurt in the first week, you know, all bets are off, but if, if the, both guys are healthy, I think Carolina would poke around. I think I don't like what Edmonton did with its goaltending, which is basically bring back the same two guys and they need to take a step. I think they might express some interest in flurry. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was another team I was thinking that needed a, a goalie. Maybe it'll come to me, but anyway, I think there are, there are options um, for flurry and Vegas is so desperate to clear some cap space. I mean, that is a really interesting situation because you hear guys names of like Pacioretty, March or so, Yep. Like almost anyone who's making any kind of money, their name is was floated out there in the last six months. And I wonder the effect that that has in the room. Um, you know, some guys signed signed there because they love being there. And, you know, under Bill Foley's ownership, he's so eager and antsy to win a cup every year. I wonder if they're a little bit nervous, like how much how much security is there here? All right, we're going to wrap up this segment with uh, my bread and butter. Uh, as you can see by the memory, memorabilia behind me, there's a lot of Ranger stuff here. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to ask you to put, you know, play a little 3D chess. So what I've been able to gather and what I could get out of a well-placed source is that this season for the Rangers is going to be pretty much steady as she goes. See what they have in the kits. Then next year, they're going to take off. And that means they can't possibly play every prospect they've built up in this pipeline. So I'm asking you, what can you see the Rangers doing? I don't see anything in season. I really do believe they're going to stick with their guns. I don't know if anything would present itself. Pierre-Luc Dubois would be fantastic because mm -hmm. of the need for a center. And my God, wouldn't that be something if he was a center and he had Lafreniere on one wing and he had, or Panarin. I mean, it, it's, it's pretty special when you think about it, but 
They've got so many prospects. You just look at that pool. You've got Nils Lundqvist coming up on defense on the right side. Braden Schneider, who looked fantastic at the World Juniors, right? This pool of defensemen. They also have Adam Fox, Jacob Truber, Tony D'Angelo. They've got Keandre Miller, who has impressed so much that they think he's going to make the team. Hell with those performance bonuses. We'll figure out those cap issues later. There's a lot. And again, there are also young forwards. There's Kratsov who hasn't come over yet. You've got Carl Henriksen who's making some noise. As you can tell, they're very loaded. But those, not all those players are going to be able to play. Do you see them making a major move? And who the heck could they make that major move with? Considering they more likely than not want a center, right? Who would be available next summer or some fantastic trade you could see happening? What do you think the Rangers will do? Next one. Well, well Dubois would be the best guy available next summer. I mean, because he he also aligns like his age would align kind of nicely with where the Rangers are in wanting to take that next step. I don't like you said. I I think they just stay the course this year and just hope that they can surprise. You got to consider the the division they're in now. Like <laughs> the metro, the metro was a hard enough division to begin with, but the new. Mass Mutual East Division. Yeah, Mass Mutual. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Trademark, TM, registered trademark. Yeah. Uh, With Boston coming in the mix too, that's going to be a dogfight. That's the division of death. So I I think, you know, they're smart enough that they look around and say, okay, there's a couple really experienced teams that we're going to be going head to head against a lot, like the Washington Capitals, like the Boston Bruins. Uh, Let's measure ourselves up against them. How do we do in those games? Are we there yet or do we still need to wait? And I think kind of the players will kind of decide where they're at. But I really like what New York has done. I mean, I think I think it's kind of fantastic. I don't think Jeff Gordon gets enough credit for, you know, I think it takes guts to to tell New York City we're not going for it. We're going to step back or to say we're buying out the king. Like it's tough to turn that page. But he's he's set out a mission and he's been following it and he's gotten good returns in past deadlines as a seller. Uh, But now we're just starting to see the page turn to where they could be a buyer next year. Uh, I, I, I would say it's a wait and see year, though. I would love to get Ryan Burke on my show just to talk about, you know, winning the lottery back oh. to back and get it, just to have him do a tirade just for me. <laughs> He's pretty opinionated on that topic. <laughs> All right, Luke, this is great. Um, you know, do me a favor, just plug everything, your Twitter handle, just let everyone know where they could find your work. Sure. Yeah. Right. For uh, Sportsnet, which is sportsnet.ca. Uh, you'll find my work regularly there, uh, pretty much split between Leafs coverage and league coverage. Uh, always stay up on UFAs and RFAs. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Luke Fox Jukebox. Uh, it rhymes. Awesome. <laughs> well, Happy New Year to you, friend. And thank you for joining the show. Yeah, Happy New Year. This was a lot of fun, Anthony. Take care. All right. All right. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining the show and see you next time. Bye.